This episode is brought to you by Game Toppers. Make sure to go to their website, GameToppersLLC.com, to keep up to date with a brand new Kickstarter coming soon. And listen to the end of this episode where we announce a Game Toppers contest. Hey, y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. So get that moon pie and RC ready as the guys discuss the 51st State Expansion Allies and review Super Punch Fighter, Hedera, and Pandemic Rapid Response. And here is a double-decker moon pie review of Shadowrun Six World Beginner's Box with Travis and Adam Connell. Yep, Marty's sons and mine too. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Takey Names. This is episode number 172, Got Me Under Pressure, and I'm Tony. I'm Marty. And Marty, why in the world would I use that classic ZZ Top song? You got me under pressure. Well, it's interesting that you got me y- under you pressure. Use a, no, I, I, I know the song, but I'm like, as far as you didn't prick the queen under pressure. Well, I thought I had already used that one. You may have. That, that's from a, so yes, got me under pressure, which I haven't heard. Gosh, in years, got me under pressure. Let's talk, let's think. What's what's some stuff we're going to talk about today? So one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, one thing is you want to make sure to stay and tune all the way to the end of the show as we're going to announce a huge, huge contest giveaway where we're going to be giving away eight, one of the biggest prizes we've ever given away. Also, we're going to be announcing how to get our third annual strike tournament tickets for Gen Con this year. They're going to be going on sale. Uh, that's a lot of pressure for us to try to sell the tickets. It's a lot of pressure for them to try to win the contest. Let's see. Let's see some of the reviews we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about Hedera, Pandemic rapid response. Wait a minute. That that might be one. Yeah, that's got a clock in it. And Proving Grounds, a solo game. Okay, I'm going to go with Proving Grounds and Pandemic Rapid Response because there's a real-time clock involved. And while all those are excellent, and you would think the reason why I named this song that, you are almost completely right, but not completely right, because the reason why I'm under pressure is we've got to get this recorded because Strawberry Shortcake is coming out of the oven in approximately 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) so i have got to get this recorded i've got to be able to get back into the family room so i do not miss out on my opportunity at strawberry shortcake because you know it's got to be warm that's that shortcake has to be warm we went and picked strawberries for the last time this season at uh, the local farm we used to go to for 10 years called hall family farm here in charlotte they are shutting down and moving to indian land so don and i went out there in the uh, balmy warm days of north carolina where it's 96 degrees got all these strawberries they are juiced up they're what term did she use macerated that's it she's got them all ready to go she says how long are you recording tonight and i go well you know me it could be an hour it could be two depends on how long we start talking she goes well let me be honest with you you're under pressure because <laughs> strawberry shortcake is at 7.45. I said, oh, good God, I better get moving. It's funny you talked about fresh strawberries because over the weekend, uh, we I went out to the uh, the peach stand, which is a local uh, produce place uh, near my work, and got some fresh strawberries. And uh, Saturday night, we made uh, homemade strawberry ice cream. That looks so good. Which was really good. And we were torn. We couldn't decide what flavors we wanted to make. All the boys wanted different flavors. So Vanessa said, fine. Sunday, we made homemade peanut butter ice cream. 
That doesn't trip the trigger here. You don't like peanut butter? I like peanut butter, but I don't think I like peanut butter ice cream. And then to round out the day, she said, you know, let's just do our classic vanilla. So actually before I started recording, the ice cream maker had just finished. So I had fresh vanilla ice cream and homemade fudge brownie to go on top of it. See, you've already had your dessert. You've had your cake. You've ate it too. And mine is waiting for me. So we got to get moving here. How does this work on our Facebook page, Marty? I don't understand this. So Donna posted a picture of me. She sent it to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. If people go to our Facebook page, will they be able to see that video she posted of me? That I'm not going to say anything about it, but it's worth going to our page and seeing. Yes, I'm not sure if you have to like the page, but you know what? Let's just let's just play it safe. Go like our page, Rolling Dice and Taking Names page on Facebook, and you can see a uh, video of some activities that uh, Tony attempted uh, over the weekend. Yes, it was a board game, but not like the board games you're used to us talking about. So, and let me say that was just one of many videos that she could have posted of me trying to accomplish that amazing feat. God, that was the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. <laughs> Speaking of amazing feats, how about this? The Spill de Jars was just recently, the, the nominees were just posted and a big surprise and a big congratulations to our buddy Ignacy because Detective was nominated for the Kinderspiel de Jars, which is like the more heavy side of board games. That guy was on cloud nine that day. He had the biggest grin on his face that Mary posted on Twitter that day. Yeah, and most people were commenting. We didn't think he did smile, but I did see him smiling at Gen Con last year. I posted as he saw that line just eating up Detective. Now, why is it a big surprise that he was... He shouldn't have been surprised. He's been winning awards and coveted awards such as the Squirrely for best game. Why is this a surprise to the man? No, I, I agree. But still, I mean, there's only three nominees. I mean, the other yeah. two were Carpe Diem, which is a, a Stefan Fell game, uh, which we talked about before, and also Wingspan from Stonemeyer Games, uh, which we which also mentioned before, too. So, I mean, there's three good nominees there, but the fact that of all the games that came out last year, to come down and be narrowed down just one of those three, that's quite an achievement. And here's the thing. I really hope it wins. When I look at the three, that is the one that's the most unique to me. Carpe Diem was a good game, but it didn't really break the mold. Wingspan, also a very popular game, but to me it was like, it didn't really do anything new. Detective is something brand new, and I hope he wins just for innovation. Yeah, an innovation, but another thing is how wide-reaching that it can go in board gaming. I mean, you don't even have to enjoy playing a board game and you can come in, sit down and actually feel like you're just solving a murder or whatever with detective. And it doesn't feel like you're having to play a board game that many people associate with, you know, like monopoly and things like that. When you say you want to play a board game here, you can say, Hey, I've got a murder mystery. Let's solve it. Yeah, exactly. It's more like that, you know, the murder mystery parties that you could get in a box where you have a bunch of people over and you role play. Mm -hmm. It has that same sort of feel to it, but more in a gamey feel. Now, the other nominees for the just regular Spill de Jars were Just One, Where Words, and Llama. Llama I had not heard of, but I have played Just One and Where Words. Are, both are amazing games. And uh, I think Just One also won an award for us. I think they did too. And uh, we played that again just recently. It's amazing. They just keep showing up. No wonder they're worthy of an award. So basically what is happening here is the Spill Desires are pretty much 
saying, all right, you know, we look at the Squirrely Awards and we realize, holy cow, these guys know what they're talking about. Let's make sure to consider their games that won in our list. I think that's what's happening. I, I agree with you. I mean, they I'll admit they throw away our topics or how we set the awards and the categories we give for the awards and just put their old standard nomenclature. And maybe we don't have the same type of pool on sales that they do. But I think you're right, Marty. I think they're saying, what is, where is that litmus test? Oh, let's go check out the squirrely. And you know, uh, speaking of uh, Portal games, you and I just recently got to play a brand new expansion for uh, one of our more favorite games from Portal, and that's 51st State. And this new expansion that just came out is Allies, which adds some new cards and two brand new factions, including Mississippi, which I was glad to see. So when we talk about 51st State, Imperial Settlers gets a lot of, I don't want to say press or notoriety, because they're both these engine-type building games, right? Sure. And, I, and they're both great games. I personally like 51st State more. And I, for me, Marty, I was very excited to get this expansion to see how it would change the game. Because um, in 51st State, if, and correct me, and you will, from a standpoint of you've got to build your resources, you've got to convert your resources into tokens in order to build buildings or knock down buildings or construct deals. And then it's all about getting to 25 victory points first. Correct. And that to me, I think for me, that's the big pro is getting to that 25 points first. So you're talking about it's a race as compared to Imperial Settlers, where basically that's just, you play over four rounds. Whoever has the most points after four rounds wins. Right. And I think Imperial Settlers is also one of those things where the, the, the individual cards, like you have the amazing Amazons, or the Atlanteans, they all have special cards. Here in 51st State, you really don't have that. It's a common deck. Yeah, so in Imperial Settlers, each faction has their own unique cards they draw from. Now, the cool thing about that is, is every time you play a different faction, it's going to have a totally different feel. The downside to that is, whenever you play a new faction, it's going to have a totally different feel. And if, if you get used to one, but don't know what somebody else is playing, you may not know their strengths or their weaknesses. So it takes a few plays to get into it. You're correct. With 51st State, there's a common pool of cards everybody gets to use. It's not a con against Imperial Settlers no. having all those different... I mean, matter of fact, that to me is a huge challenge. That takes that game up above 51st State. Okay, to having to get to know to be really good at that game, you really need to know the other factions to help you be competitive. With 51st State, you can kind of set on your strategy. And I guess maybe it's this old man syndrome over here that I'm just like, okay, I can I can concentrate here. I know what I'm doing. And I don't have to worry about these other things. But for me, 51st State, I, I enjoy having that on the table. I was very excited, like I said, to get this expansion, especially because this expansion brought into it, it gave you that ability to generate tokens, not just resources. You could generate the tokens that would let you build things. Well, explain that because I didn't really understand what you just said and I played the game. Did you really? Oh, I, I did. Well, you came in last. Wow. That's all. Okay. Okay. I'll just shut up then since Mr. Smarty Pants, you know all about the game. Won't you tell us about those tokens? Can you remember what those tokens were called? No, I can't because I don't have those I pulled up. Influence tokens. So there's uh, three, basically three types of cards in the new allies factions and each of them may have a mechanism for generating influence tokens and if you have an influence token of a particular uh, uh faction then what that could do is help you pay the cost for developing uh, the card in that faction or making a deal in that faction or it could be 
that if you have a, an influence token of a certain faction and you want to attack somebody or raise somebody else's building of a different faction, then you can use those influence tokens to offset the cost. So typically it takes gray tokens to build or build a building to put a card into play. You could do gray tokens along with influence tokens if you're building that particular faction's building to offset the cost. Or you could use the influence tokens and blue tokens combined together to make the deal cost necessary to put that card into play. So like you said, it's just another way to get those types of cards out onto the table or to raise somebody else's building. And also one of the other things that I enjoyed about the new faction was the fact that some of the cards that were in play gave you the ability, if you had a certain series of the allies, like I don't remember all of them, I don't remember any of them, I'll be honest, but they were the green guys. Oh, you mean it was the Shirash, the Uranopolis, and the Iron Gang, the new alliances? Yeah. Yeah. If you know, if I had the expansion sitting before me, I might remember those too. That's just me called being prepared. I, once again, if I had been prepared, I still wouldn't have done me any good because I wouldn't have had the expansion in front of me. How many copies did we get? We got one. Oh, let's see. Maybe I went out to portalgames.pl slash en to the pre-order page for 51st State Allies where it lists all this information. Hey, maybe I was on the porch painting a rail with oil-based paint trying to get it finished before we recorded and waiting on the strawberry shortcake. I can't help it. I know you are dealing with a complete incompetent co-host. I I tell you what, when you go to Origins, Mm -hmm. just go ahead. Put the applications out there. I know you want to. All right, let's get back to allies. So, oh, yeah, my bad. There, there, yeah, go. You were, you were saying about the influence tokens from the alliances. Proceed. Right, and then the one of the cards I played, it said if you have the green guys, what'd you call them, the thrash? Sarash, S-H-A-R-R-A-S-H. Sure, the green guys, mm-hmm. that'll work for me. Then I got so many victory points if those cards were in play. So mm-hmm. it was giving me another capability, as well as if you could generate those influence tokens, you could turn those in for victory points instead of the resources to the tokens. And one of my favorite cards of all was give a card to somebody, get a victory point. Oh my gosh, I hated that. Was that a new card? Is that was, yes. it, was that it was a new card? Yeah, mm-hmm. and Tony just really stuck me with that one. It was basically here, give a card, but I'm going to steal one of your victory points, which was a two point swing, and you beat me by like one point in the end. That's correct. You were last, and I beat you by one point. That's yes, like- you did. But that's you know what's so cool about this game is. I was way ahead of you before we went into final scoring. But what happened was I was trying to generate points off locations. And you and Mark, the other guy that we play with, Mark from Score Report, did a really smart thing of like, you know, you get one point for every building or every location that you make. And you guys just had way more locations than I did. So you actually blew by me just because you built more stuff. And honestly, I'm not trying to make fun of you here. I think also you used a deal on a card you meant to use. And I think that would have just propelled you way past me as well were you doing no no yeah i was going to say i accidentally made a deal with a card that i meant to keep because it was one of those where i had set up to score five points because i had uh five certain uh, icons in play and Mm -hmm. that would have ended the game one round earlier right and and i probably wouldn't have finished last i still probably wouldn't have beat mark because he had a pretty good lead at that time but you know what that's what we like about that that game is the tension of racing to 25 and with 51st state if you if you've never played the beginning of the game is really slow tony isn't it? it's like my gosh when is this going to get going but once you get to about 14 or 15 points the game will end in the next round or the one after that because at that point people's engines are churning and they'll just grab up points really quick. So once again, you're under pressure. It's got you under pressure. 
Look at that. To that level. See, fits there too. <laughs> it fits there too. But yes, 51st State Allies. It pre-orders. I believe they've come down at the release of this show because he's already shipping. Yep, they're already out in stores right now. So if you want that, it's not a very expensive deck. It's just one deck of cards. Uh, he has several other expansions out there. What we did for this one is we took out all the other expansions out of our base deck and just play with allies. I wanted to see how the new cards worked. So I didn't want a huge deck out there to draw from. So we did. We got to see plenty of the of the new cards in that set. And uh, it's one of those great things where you can mix and match the expansions or play with them together how, however you want. So there's the new mechanic in Allies. That is out right now. I'm glad to see this game is still supported. But there's no hate or anything for Imperial Settlers because I love that world too and can't wait to see the brand new game that's going to be coming out at Gen Con, which adds on top of that a heavier Imperial Settlers game, Imperials of the, uh, Empires of the North. I'm going to say Imperials of the North. Empires of the North, which will be out uh, at Gen Con, which I can't wait to see. So, Marty, we're going to be talking about another game in a five-minute review that is a solo game, Proving Grounds, yes. right? Yep. And I, and I wish I had had this when I went to New York recently for work because, mm -hmm. I, you know, sitting in a hotel, I did take my Switch. You would have been proud of me. Did you play the Switch? I did. I, I was playing. I was trying to figure out Link. And um, I got my bow and I got my arrows and I found out I can't shoot and I'm uncoordinated. <laughs> and <laughs> Keep at it. And by the way, uh, I was talking to you about uh, Breath of the Wild the other day, the new Zelda game that's on, on the Switch. Uh, I think you're, you were taken by that game more so than I thought you would be. I've always enjoyed them. I mean, yes, I had that bad taste from the water dungeon and, um, oh God. Ocarina the, of Time. Ocarina of Time. And, oh, but I love that game until I got to the stupid water dungeon. Yep. And, and then what's the new one coming out? Oh, Link Awakening. That's one of the few that I finished. Yeah, and that's also one that uh, early ones I finished, and it's my least favorite story of them all. Really? A skyfish. What the heck is that? A dream and a skyfish? Please. It happens. Or is it, it a windfish? Windfish, skyfish. I don't know. It's some whale up in the sky, and it was all a dream. So anyway, when I wasn't playing this, yes, uh, and I'm sitting in a hotel trying to entertain myself watching TV. You know, you can only do so much. I'm sitting there thinking, let's go check Facebook. And you wasted an hour and a half of my time for me. How so? You posted a thing about being a new subscriber on YouTube, a guy by the name of No Life Shack and his reaction videos. I did not know this was a thing. Reaction videos? Yes, I had no idea. Welcome to the world of YouTube where reaction videos rule. I'm watching this and it's his reaction to... Oh, what was it? Oh, good. Oh, Freebird. Freebird's the one that I posted. It's the first time he'd ever heard the song Freebird by Leonard Skinner. I'm not saying anything because I can appreciate that this gentleman understands music, something I don't. I could never do a reaction video because I cannot hear what they're hearing. I can't hear what you hear. But it was amazing just watching him get all excited about these old classic songs because normally he does rap and here he is reacting to Freebird, right which then led to a metallica song um <laughs> uh, enter the sandman i'm like oh yeah. he's gonna really like this oh now he's into rush uh yyz and he gets to the end of it and he's like there was no singing what's up with this and then he used a few words about these i can't believe there's only three guys are there only three guys in rush yes really mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, you don't know. Can you name one of the three guys? Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe. Wow. How about Alex Lifeson, Neil Pert, and Getty Lee? Those two. I know okay. I just did yes. I know I just did I know yes. you did. Hey, at least you got some yes people. That was good. That's because they came out with an individual album that I sold at Camelot Music 
during that time. You know why that was named that way? Because they couldn't use yes. Do you know why? Because Billy Squire said, uh, not Billy Squire. Wow, Marty. Sure, Billy Squire. No, not, not Billy Squire. Oh my gosh, the bass player for Yes. That's your round. I know. I was going to nominate him for our band uh, concert over uh, band concert. Our ba- our super band for um over at Geek All Stars. Geek All Stars, yeah. So anyway, he is reacting to all these. Chris things. Squire. I said Billy Squire. I was close. Billy Chris. Yeah, Chris Squire said, "All right, you can't use the Yes name, so you had to do Anderson. Was it Anderson Bruford Wakeman, Wakeman Howe? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah." I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then he's reacting to Stevie Ray Vaughan, which I completely forgot about when we did that fantasy band draft, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I cannot believe I did that. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, there were a lot of people that we just totally could have done. By the way, I dominated. I dominated in that poll for that. That's because people felt because of Freddie Mercury. I let you have him. I wanted you to have a win. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, go ahead. So no life shack. Yeah, so this guy has like over 600,000 subs. That's subscriptions for those of you who don't frequent YouTube like me. (laughs) And basically, it's just this guy (laughs) sitting in front of a camera watching a video and and reacting. He uh, did one the other day. He did um, Tom Sawyer from Rush. Oh, did he do finally do Tom Sawyer? That's the one I want to see. Yeah. He did. And so this was uh, them in the studio playing. And he was like, there is just three dudes. Yeah, I want, I've been waiting for him to come back to that. This is his reaction. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, man. Do you know, I actually got into this. There is a uh, YouTube channel that I found in the fall of uh, 2017. It was called Lost in Vegas. It was the same sort of deals with these couple guys who were really more into the hip-hop rap scene. And uh, they started kind of reacting to songs they never heard of. And a lot of it was classic rock. And it's really interesting. You think, oh, you know, everybody's heard of these classic rock songs. Well, a lot of people haven't. So, you know, with them being in hip-hop rap culture, it's like, well, why would they listen to Yes or Rush or anything like that? So people started suggesting, go check out these songs. And they blew up. When I first started listening, and I went back and checked, they had around 50,000 subs. Today, they have over 800,000 subscriptions to their channel. They've gone from these two guys sitting in chairs, sitting in front of a laptop, listening to cheap speakers, to like this nice studio with nice mics and everything, doing the exact same sort of thing. But what was so cool about Lost in Vegas and even No Life Shack is, and I think it was on the uh, Tom Sawyer, he mentioned this at the end, that he said, I just love being open-minded to other types of music and realize, holy crap, there are some really talented people out there. I think it's really cool. It's like when you get stuck in one genre of music to expand your horizons and listen to different things and realize there's a lot of good stuff out there. And that's what Lost in Vegas did. They got into heavy metal and prog rock. And they are like huge Opeth fans, which is super bizarre. I'm a big Opeth fan. That's like a this like Swedish band. They're like a prog rock band. And it's like they open up their videos playing their latest favorite song from Opeth. I'm like, I can't believe these guys have gone from hip hop to like, yeah, we're big Opeth fans now. And it, it is just so cool. Another cool reaction too, if you ever want to find that this is neat, is they'll have uh, there's a uh, there's a few people that are uh, vocal trainers or, or teach you how to sing um vocal specialists they teach how to sing and everything and they'll do reaction videos to people and there's this one uh english woman 
who did a reaction video. She had never heard of Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, and they did Hallowed Be Thy Name. She lost her mind because mm. she only watches the live stuff to see how their voice really is. And she gets into all the technical stuff. It's like how he breathes and how they do this and how they make this sound. Man, reaction videos are fun. It is a rabbit hole that you can go down and just can't get out of. Well, it did take an hour and a half of my time that evening. That was fine. I enjoyed that. And I'll admit I have not gone back and watched any. So I'll have to go check it out. I'm in the process of watching. You're right. YouTube is a rabbit hole. But I can appreciate, like, we are planning our vacation that's coming up. And I'm watching people who have visited some of the cities we're going to. And I'm taking notes and listening to them. Some of them I'm skipping past. But you're absolutely like, these reaction videos, just to watch them. I mean, the same thing would be... You and I couldn't get the people watching you and I react to music. That's for sure. Well, that's the thing, too. I was actually going to say, you got to have a personality to pull these off. That's what's so great about uh, No Shack. Was it? No, no, no Life, Life Shack. Shack and Lost in Vegas is those guys are just very animated. Uh, they make have great reactions. Uh, you know, they, they know what they're talking. Well, no, here's what's funny is No Life Shack. He kept saying, Getty Lee, he played, he said, man, that guy could play the guitar. It's not a guitar. It's a bass. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that he, he's not super experienced in, in that music and, and, and really musician type or anything like that, but it's just his reactions. And like us, the, the, what I like so much about the Freebirds at the very end, he didn't even say a word. No. He just gets up and walks away. But the funniest thing is at the very beginning of the song, Freebird starts out really slow and mm-hmm. he goes, oh, I can already tell what this song is going to be and i'm sitting there thinking oh dude you don't know what's coming because at the end it kind of really rocks out if you go read the comments everybody said the same thing you really have no idea what you're in for when you said that and by the end his just jaws on the floor and he just walks out of the room that's so Mm. good see i didn't know that from the standpoint of his technical knowledge i mean he i think he can hear him I just, I just hear, you know, I just enjoy music where I have a lot of appreciation for those people who, who can pick up on, and you can do this, the, the tightness of a band and things like that and how well they're playing together. For me, I, it's lost on me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, that's okay. Speaking of lost. Yeah. Lost a great comedian that we um, talked about on the movie episode, Tim Conway. He passed a uh, couple weeks ago and it's always, you know, it's like, oh man, it's, it, it, it stinks when these people pass away, but man, it's like he was how, gosh, how old was he? I don't know. He was old. He was up there maybe in his eighties. He's one of those things that was a, a, a big in, influence. I don't know. It's somebody that you really enjoy when you and I were both really, really young kids on the Carol Burnett show, which was like one of the first variety shows, early variety shows with skits. And Tim Conway was one of the funniest people I had ever seen. And even, even in later decades, he was, do you remember Dorf? You remember the character he had, mm-hmm. the dwarf, where he basically was like uh, sat on his knees and put shoes on his knees to make yes. it look like he had very short pants. Yes. Uh, he had a whole series of videos of that. The guy is just a comedic genius. Dwarf on golf. Dwarf on golf. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's flooding. It is so flooding. And he was he, he was 85 years old. Uh, yeah, Dwarf on Goffs. I mean, and he would even show up in, in, in comedies recently as like special guests come in for comedy bits and everything. So it was it was sad to see him go just because he had such an influence, just such a funny guy. And if you've never seen any of his work, I recommend just search Tim Conway, Carol Burnett Show, and just start watching those, some of those skits. And that's a rabbit hole that you'll spend an hour in also. Yeah. I mean, like MeTV's been running the best of Tim Conway. Conway on the Carol Burnett show. So for five days, they've been doing it. So I've gotten through, they haven't made it to the dentist skit yet, but the very first one was Mrs. Wiggins. 
um, yep. having to push the intercom button. But Carol Burnett, that's somebody else. Mm-hmm. She held her own with him and uh, uh, Harvey Corman. And I mean, she just did, uh, she's very good too. Old stuff, old stuff, people. Well, even before that, did you ever watch reruns of the first thing Tim Conway was on, McKell's Navy? Yes. That way before we were born, but when reruns came out, he was like the the comedic side relief, you know, or the like the idiot on the show sort of deal. Hate that he's gone. But then again, right before we record, uh, record Brett Buckner from the famous Ball Between the Legs. Unfortunately, he's an incredible hitter for the Boston Red Sox. Yes. Bart Starr's gone. Oh, my heavens. We're getting old, dude. Yeah, Bill Buckner, I remember sitting in college and watching that World Series, the famous ball between the legs at first base that cost him the World Series. It's sad that people just think of that because he was an incredible hitter, fielder, one mistake. What can we say? I I agree. I I shouldn't have emphasized that. It's just I actually remember that, and people made a lot of fun of him. But like you said, you go back and look at his stats and everything. He was a really good ball player. And to be able to be on a team that was playing in the World Series, you had to be pretty darn good. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Portal games you heard us talking about allies could have gotten out there and pre-ordered and you'd already have a copy. He's been shipping it. But Ignacy made some other announcements. Marty, he besides the fact that he's up for the Kinderspiel Award. He's he's gonna ride that one for a while, isn't he? He should. It's a it's a distinguished honor. Even if he doesn't win, it's a distinguished honor. And even Rob Dobby was talking about writing his story for it today. I saw that on Twitter as well. One of the few times I hit the Twitter button on my phone by accident. And he mentioned he was eating a Greek salad, and I think that's a clue, so I've already written it down. Also, then here comes Ignacy. Oh, Preda Porter coming out. Kickstarter, July 23rd, 24th? July 5th, great. Well, where's Undead? Yeah, I'm asking that too. Yeah, I think he's purposely pushing this off another year to try to win another stinking squirrely for the best delayed game. I agree with you. And when is that rolling right coming out? That is going to be in mid-June. Mid-June. Mm-hmm. Start saving your pennies, people, because he's got them coming out. They're going to be hitting you. And then Gen Con, I'm sure, what is it? You said, is Empire's coming out then? Uh, Empire's going to be coming out at uh, Gen Con. That is correct. You know what? I sound like Ignacy on his podcast with Stephen Bonacord, not knowing his own street dates. And I was wrong. I said July 5th is July 8th. July 8th is when the Kickstarter for Predator Porter comes out. Either way, <laughs> save your money. Get ready for it, people. Portal Games, they got the games for you. You can go out there and pre-order at portalgamesus.com or get ready for those Kickstarters. That's portalgamesus.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. I love Civ games. Yes, you do. But I never get to play Civ games because they're really, really long. Yes. So when Z-Man reached out and said, hey, guys, would you like to check out this new kind of lighter Civ game called Hedera that plays in like an hour? I said, yes, I would. Because you're not silly. You always want to play a new game. You would say that regardless, even if it wasn't a Civ game. Well, I know, but I was really, really intrigued by this, especially with the card play mechanics. Now, this is from Z-Man Games. It's from designer Benjamin Schwer. And in typical Civ game fashion, this is played over three ages or three epochs. But the thing I love about this game, Tony, is this kind of a, not, not kind of a card drafting mechanic. Uh, at the beginning of the game, there are like five decks set out on the table. And at the beginning of the phase... You're going to draw two cards from a certain colored deck, depending on where the wheel is situated that matches the icon on your player board. Then you have a tough decision to make, Tony. 
Do I take that card and put it to play or do I sell it for some money and hopefully maybe buy another card later on for the whole purpose of like increasing these tech tracks that you have on your board. Yes, and that is probably one of the biggest pros for me is that hard decision that you have to make at the beginning of the game because once you've decided what to do with that card, either sell it or place it on your board, the next one goes back into the center for a later draft. And it's very important because you may not get that card that uh, someone else. Hard decisions being made there and they really do drive this game. What's cool is after everybody takes two cards from a separate colored pile, there's a wheel right in the middle of the board that rotates to uh, the next selection of piles. And so next time you're going to draft from a different color. So everybody's drafting from a different color every round. And there's two cards per player put out on the board. So you're going to actually go through the entire set of cards until all cards are drafted and put into play. Like we said, the purpose of getting these cards is you're going to increase your tracks that are on your player board, including coin, agriculture, culture, and military. And much like in Civ fashion, all those are important in some way. Because Tony, right after we go through and buy all those cards, comes a phase that we all loved, which was the income phase, which where you got the amount of money that you had moved up on your income track. Yes, because you're going to need some coins. You then, once you get your income, you move into that next phase of where you are pillaging or integrating a colony. And all this is dependent on how big your military is. And you have to make a decision there on which you want to do. Do you want to get money from pillaging or do you want to integrate them and get the social benefits from that culture that you don't know? You got to guess. Then Marty, the cultural side of you comes out when you have to build a statue. Mm -hmm. Now these statues are important because this is another hard decision. A very good pro on this game is. I love this decision part right here that you have to make. Go ahead. You, you've got to decide, do I want to get the victory points from this cultural statue that I'm building or do I want to increase one of my tracks, one of my tech tracks? Then once you're done with that, it's time for phase B. Where now all those cards that were discarded in the first round, each of you one at a time will have a choice of the top card of each of those discard decks to either sell or or put into play. So then you're going to go through the rest of those cards until they're all gone. Now there's nothing to do with the wheel here. It's just a free for all like that too, because you got to get a memory game going. What cards were down there? Then we go to income again, Marty. Then we're pillaging and integrating again, mm -hmm. and then we're building culture again. And then we got to feed our nation. Yeah. For every card that you've bought, you have to have enough food to feed each one of those cards. And if you don't, you have to discard cards, lowering your tech values based on what those cards were until you can feed that right amount of people. Another one of those little tension things that you got to make. And then at the very end of the age, you get to buy silver or metal coins where silver, if you buy silver, you can get points uh, for one of the particular tracks at the end of the game. Or if you buy gold, you're going to get victory points for every matching color that you have, a set of, ma uh, set of colors, and there's five different color cards, and you get seven points per set. Then you do that two more times and you count most victory points and you win. And there's victory points everywhere. There's victory points on cars. There's victory points on civilizations. Oh, just all kinds of things. And there are even special cards. Another thing that Marty, for me, those special purple cards, they were kind of a con mm -hmm. for me because that was a crapshoot. You got some very good ones. I never I did. did, but that's all right. You know, that's part of the game. Cards get more expensive, but you can reduce the cost based on the number of colors you have. All that. I like that mechanic. That was one an important mechanic for me to always be able to reduce the cost. I completely ignored an entire series, but concentrated on other ones. So 
For me, Marty, I enjoyed this game. Uh, it's a quick game. It's one of those games, I think, that is for the lighter side of people in civilization games. Recommend that you definitely give this one a try. If you're not looking for that long, drawn-out play, I would definitely consider putting Hedera on your shelf. What about you? We played with a group of people that really likes heavier games, and they were they were okay with it. I think I probably liked it more than everybody else because it gave me that Civ feel. The only thing that didn't feel like a Civ was the military because you don't really attack anybody else. You, you don't really bother other people except maybe take a card that they wanted maybe but other than that i like it it played in an hour it's easy to learn it gave me that little bit of a sieve taste so that's hedera from z-man games i know i want to play it again five minute initiative is complete Earlier in the episode, we had talked about doing a review for Proving Grounds. Well, as we were recording this episode, the publisher Renegade Games contacted us and said there was an error in the version of the game that we got. The introduction to the game, the training grounds portion of the game was supposed to be a really easy learn how to play thing. And and we're going to comment in our review that it was a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. It's become to find out they didn't have the right cards in the deck. So Renegade is going to really take it on the chin here, Tony, and reprint all these games and then send them back out. And they asked, would you please hold off talking about this game and doing the review till we get the actual product in your hand? And I got to give it to Renegade, Tony. They could have just said, ah, whatever, we've already printed them, put them out there. People won't care. But they're doing the right thing here. Oh, people would have cared because that was definitely a smackdown that was going on with those cards. So I appreciate Renegade getting in touch with us before we released what we had to say about that smackdown, that defeat, that harsh <laughs> treatment that that game gave us. So, yes, good for them. And um, you will hear more about Proving Grounds in a later episode. Five-minute initiative begins in three two, one. Another game from Z-Man that we got to try that's a Target exclusive is Pandemic Rabbit Response. That's right. Did you say rabbit? I did. It's rabid because you didn't cure diseases in the last pandemic that you had to deal with. <laughs> now it's Rapid Response and it's by Kane Klinko. Oh, by the way, Kane was part of this plunder, wasn't he, Marty? Proving Grounds. I'm sorry, Proving Grounds. Kane also designed Proving Grounds, too, that we're, we'll eventually get back to. Right, so we really had two games that we are going to talk about by Kane, but nope, oh, that's okay, but uh, we've already covered that. So anyway, Pandemic Rapid Response. Just to this game, you've got to get supplies to cities that are struggling to survive. You're flying around in this high-level airplane where you are rolling dice that have special symbols on, and you are trying to put them in slots that allow you to produce goods that will meet the city's needs. During your turn, you've got two minutes. Oh, but wait, Marty, it's not just you that has two minutes. Everybody mm -hmm. has two minutes and you've got to be moving fast. This is a real-time reaction. And the reason why I say reaction is because you got to dodge dice that are flying at you. For those of you who love these real-time games, this might be the game for you. Now, Marty, how do you feel about real-time games? Typically, I'm not a huge fan because it gets really frantic. And I, I would like to say that you said everybody gets two minutes. But what happens is not everybody's rolling at the same not time. True. The clock starts and the active player rolls 
decides what he wants to do. Then he have up to two re-rolls again. And during his turn, he can spin the dice to move the jet. He can move between rooms. Or like you said, he can put uh, supplies out on the board. Or when you have enough supplies, you can actually go to the back of the plane and, and drop them off. And all those require certain types of uh, icons on the dice. So once you're done, it goes to the next person. But that clock is running the entire time. And once the clock is out you lose a time token. And if you run out of time tokens, then you lose the game. Or as you produce these goods on your plane, you don't have unlimited waste. You've got to track the waste. So that is like the outbreak feature of pandemic. That is increasing because once you produce these goods that you're going to put on the back of the plane to deliver to the cities, you pick up all those dice and you roll them. And if a symbol shows up that has a circle on it, you produce waste. And that's a bad thing. So somebody's got to go mitigate waste. Now, there are special abilities just like you have in regular pandemic. And there are seven characters. You only play this game with four. It's a hectic game. It's a game that for me, Marty, is not something that will go to the table because to be honest with you, Marty, I'm, I've gotten older. I'm slowing down. <laughs> you know? Well, it was one of those fights. We were yelling at each other. So the only time that you can talk is when that clock is running. Right. And so we're like, oh, and you're sitting there staring at the dice. Would you hurry up and go? I got to do things. You did try to coordinate. It's like you're on the other side of the plane. You work on this. Hurry up and get to me so that I can get to my turn. And by the way, once you make a delivery, you get one of those time tokens back. Mm -hmm. So you want to deliver as fast as you can. And the number of places that you have to deliver to, the number of cities, will dictate how hard the game is for the starting game it was like five cities right. so if you delivered all five cities you end up winning the game but it's a frantic game and and the thing is that we're talking with real-time games we ended up cheating and what, what i mean by cheating was we weren't supposed to talk when the clock ended and we we ended up gabbing and even though we tried not to i don't know it, to me it's just too easy to game the system with real-time games for some reason if we all just sat there in dead silence and the only thing said does everybody have a plan and then you start again. I mean, that's true. We were getting into the flow. Yeah. I mean, this game is fast. It can go by quickly because, I mean, if you're thinking about it, but you're right. Talking about you don't have time for an alpha gamer. Talk about pressure. Everybody is yelling at you like, why are you looking at those dice? Those are useless to us. Please do something. <laughs> My God, pass. Let me have a chance. Also, when you lock <laughs> dice, you can't roll those until they come back to you. That's an important thing, too. If you're in a room and you're trying to like get bandages and when you... Uh, you have to have so many bandage dice in place to take a certain amount from the supply. Once those dice are there, you don't get them back. So you're rolling with fewer dice each time until you get those supplies and get them back into your uh, tableau to use the next turn. One last thing I want to point out, Marty, is in some of those rooms, you have to place dice of equal to the number of spots. You can't just put one and then roll again and put mm -hmm. another. You've got to put all the same symbol there. Now you can keep as many dice as you want and roll, but still that was frustrating. We needed three in those and I didn't get it. So I might as well pass and turn it over to you. Once again, this game is great for those who like these real time, fast paced, frantic games. Go for it. For me, it's going to be one of those games. I'm going to say, okay, you young people take a shot at it. Yeah. And since it's a target exclusive, it really is geared towards people who, you know, a quick family game. You can, you can have that good pace and, and get done quickly. It's easy to learn, but I'm kind of with you. If, if I'm going to play a pandemic, I think I'm going to have to go back to the old man, slow games where I could take my turn and decide what I want to do. So that's pandemic rapid response exclusively at target from Z man game. Five minute initiative is complete.
The Broken Token is always coming out with these really elite, super organizers for storing like all collections of one particular game. And their latest one that they have on pre-order is called Future Pastimes Collector's Edition Big, Big Box, which is compatible with Cosmic Encounters and multiple of the expansions in that game. And this is one of those really gorgeous big wooden boxes that holds everything, holds all the bits and the cards and everything, holds all your expansions together. So if you want that really elite deluxe organizer for Cosmic Encounters, that is on pre-order right now. And also they have shipping right now is a brand new organizer for Dinosaur Island, which organizes all your bits and everything and has uh, also for expansions and everything, it holds everything together nicely. So if you wanna check out those two organizers, plus any other organizers they have, make sure to go check them out at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, Marty, they also have water deeples. Water deeples, what's that? That's for the the little uh, meeples. What, what did I call it in one of our first podcasts? Lords of the Water Deep. Lords of the Water Deep. Oh, those are nice. A set of 100 painted wood meeples. Oh, that, yeah, that's cool. If you've been listening to our show for a while, you know that a few years ago we had talked about some RPG systems that we really liked, and one of my favorite was Shadowrun. And at the time, I had played a few games of the Fifth World Edition, and this in 2019 happens to be the 30th anniversary of Shadowrun. Yes, it's been around since 1989, which is why I was excited when they announced they're coming out with a sixth world edition and Catalyst Games Lab sent us our early copy of the beginner box and we got to try it out. Now, here's the thing. I am not the RPG expert on this show. We know Tony is not, but I happen to have two heavy RPG players in this house. My son's Travis and Adam, who've agreed to come on the show and talk to us about Shadowrun as we have been playing this game. Guys, thanks for coming on. What's going on? Howdy. So guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've been on the show before for things like miniatures and stuff, because I also see you as the miniatures experts in this house. And you guys have played a lot of RPGs over the years. Adam, you played a lot when you were in college, which we had talked about before. Mm -hmm. Travis is now currently in college and plays a lot in college. And even in the summer, he has his friends come over and play. And actually, you guys played uh, this Shadowrun Six World Beginner Box with your friends. I did. And I got to say, a lot of my friends really liked it. One thing that they liked, uh, one of my friends, he's more into role-playing than the actual sort of combat of a system. And he just really enjoyed Shadowrun's universe. And it's more uh, like even in the pre-made characters, the character you lends himself to a more charismatic talking face role than some other pre-made characters in RPGs might. And let's just talk about real quick. If you've never heard of Shadowrun, Shadowrun's setting is cyberpunk. Uh, it's very much in the future. So if you think Matrix uh, or something like that, where there's a, a, there's a lot of tech going on, there's hacking going on. But what's interesting about the Shadowrun universe is there, there's, there's this fantastical world, this magic world, because things like elves and dwarves and magic are part of it. So it's like a combination of cyberpunk and fantasy. Sort of, kind of. No, definitely. Don't definitely. I mean, I mean definitely, yeah. But I, I, to me, it's cyberpunk, like cut and dry. Yeah, but there's if you ever read the lore, which I've read some of it, there was this whole awakening of this fantastical age where magic comes back into the world. So you've got high tech mixed with magic because one of the pre-gen characters is actually a mage. You know, the magic element is what sets it apart from 
other cyberpunk games and uh, the only one i can think of right now is paranoia which isn't like super cyberpunk it's but it's dystopian and it doesn't have uh, a major magic element to it now one of the things that uh, people may be wondering is like what why a sixth edition and here's the thing i know you guys have said you had never played fifth i even though i love that rpg in that setting that was one of the most crunchy and by crunchy mean a lot of numbers to track a lot of dice to roll a lot of skills to keep track of and when that aspect, even though it's it's very cool, there was just a lot to keep up with. So every time I played the game, I felt like I was having to relearn the rules and reread the rules and see how skill checks are done. The whole purpose of the sixth world or sixth edition, I'll probably flip back and forth between those, is to make this game more streamlined, make it easier to understand and easier to pick up. And that's a trend that we've been seeing in role-playing games for the past however many odd years, pretty much since D&D 5th edition when they decided to just make the game more accessible. And I don't want to say more simple because it's not necessarily more simple, but just more streamlined and more effective for someone to jump in and play. And many other RPGs have followed suit. Pathfinder 2nd edition is supposed to be like that, less crunchy, more streamlined. Now Shadowrun also kind of following that model and it's kind of led into this RPG renaissance, so to speak, of people picking up these RPGs and being able to play them uh, without having to constantly reference a rule book, which is something that turns people off initially. Which is actually one of the things I really like in this uh, beginner box. When we look at what comes in the beginner box, it has a, a quick start guide for the GM, has individual booklets for all the pre-gen characters, which gives a sample of their character sheet, some background on the characters. Uh, there's a nice map that comes along with it. But what's really cool are these tool cards, uh, these cards that came with it that basically explain all the different types of items uh, that the characters can use and has all their stats. And Travis, you had said right as we started that you are a big fan of these types of cards, which are also becoming really popular in D&D. I am a big fan of this system of cards. So what they have done is they've put all your weapons, a lot of skills, a lot of armor, a lot of spells, a lot of just items that can help you in the game that you need to have stats for just on the card. And while, yes, it is easy to just, you know, look at the gear section of your character sheet, just having that sort of tactile feel of, you know, you can flip through, you can look through, easy access, it's a bigger font, it's easier to read. I just think it's a really nice addition, like not just to have the option in Shadowrun, but the fact that they put it in the box, it's good for quick look up and someone goes, hey, can you, uh, can I verify the rules for something instead of, you know, having to pass your whole character sheet or mm -hmm. look through the book for spells. You could just be like, hey, here's the card for Fireball. Check it out. Now, here's the thing. We don't know the full rule set uh, for six. This is just the beginner rules, the quick start rules. But what Catalyst Games Lab has posted, and if you're big into Shadowrun, there's some bullet points. They said, here's some stuff that's different between fifth and sixth. One is how they handled um, Edge. They streamlined this concept of Edge, which you can earn uh, like during combat. And there's a check that you do during combat to see if you earn Edge basing your attack rating versus defensive rating and then you can spend it as a resource and there's different things you can do like you can maybe re-roll some of your die or add three to an initiative score uh you can buy an automatic hit um you can affect somebody else you can debuff them where uh and i love this concept of glitches where when you roll a set of D6s and everything's done, all things are done with D6s here. If you roll a lot of ones and it's at least half of your total number of your dice rolled, you glitch. 
there's an edge cost here that you can have somebody else where they have to count ones and twos. A nice little debuff thing there. So they've changed the way that you've handled edge. Uh, in addition, there are fewer action types. Now it's just there's a major and a minor, and that's it. There was this other thing that was going on in, in fifth edition that you that made it a little bit more complicated. Wait a minute, is that a is that a major? Like two minors? What's considered a major and minor? They've really made that easier to understand here. Simplified initiative. You roll initiative at the start of an encounter, then don't re-roll it. In the fifth edition, you re-roll initiative. No limits, which is what I like. There was this concept where you have this threshold check. When you roll a pool of D6s, you count your number of successes, which is any rolls that are five or sixes. And then you have to meet a certain level, according to the GM, whatever it is, a threshold to pass the test. Well, in the fifth edition, there's a concept of limits to where if you roll 12 and you got all 12, if your limit was only eight, you can only count count eight of those they've done away with that it's just one less thing you need to track also i think this is a big one the skill list has narrowed down from 80 skills down to 19 and why you may it sound like oh my gosh that's hardly a lot to choose from but you can still select specializations with those in 19 as you build your character again when we get the full rule set we can see all all this is also i always found it i always wanted to play a decker and it was very complicated to me to hack and get into the matrix and everything. And they've made interacting with the matrix a lot easier. So all those core concepts were streamlined down to try to make this something easier because uh, Adam, I think you're right. A lot of people have been coming out with a lot of streamlined editions of, of DN, uh, uh, RPGs with D&D taken off. Catalyst Games Labs wants to jump on that bandwagon and they want to make this as accessible as possible. For sure. And, and they do that by and large it, it, because Shadowrun just by its nature is less accessible because someone walking into the world of role-playing games and tabletop games um, are, are probably going to be familiar with your generic fantasy setting with D&D, with orcs and goblins, with swords and arrows and wizards and stuff. But they might not be as familiar with cyberpunk and it might raise some eyebrows to say, well, what is this? What is hacking? What is the matrix? What is uh, all, what does magical security mean? Why is that on my sheet? And they've done a good job of breaking that down for you and just kind of guiding you through the setting and making you understand what you're looking at in a good way. Yeah. But then Shadowrun does have orcs elves and magic and swords <laughs> so that could that's be that's that's a good way to like link somebody who may have tried D D and thought hey that was pretty cool and you're just like hey well also try out Shadowrun. it's a different system you might like it to me for some reason it seems like i have a lot more choices and things to work with in Shadowrun than like a typical fantasy setting so uh, in the scenario that we played we had all these options of trying to achieve something we could go stealth we could go tech and try to hack into something we could just start fighting and then as you start leveling up your character it's not just stats and getting better weapons there's augmentations you can make to your body you can replace your eyes replace your arms replace your limbs it is just the massive amount of things you can do in this world tech magic etc was a little mind-blowing to me which was why it was very hard to me stay into because as i leveled up my character it's like i almost had too many things to choose from so i'm really curious to see if that's still the case or they kind of slim that down to make it where it's not so overwhelming and even in this introductory scenario we accidentally finished it without engaging combat once well, we <laughs> like, did. now to be fair we wanted to try combat so what we did we kind of roll yeah, yeah. we retconned a little bit and then we actually went through a combat phase to see how that worked and travis like you said you play with your friends and y'all did a lot of combat a little we had one a, combat. A little combat but and i think that's what uh your friend was saying too is every time i play Shadowrun, it seems to be less combat going on 
than there is in other games like D&D. Everybody wants to start throwing swords in here. It's like, no, 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 wait a minute. If we hack into this and we do this and we play this cool, lots of times you can get out of situations with ever having, having to draw a gun. In D&D, you're either alive and ready to fight or you're unconscious and seconds from death. <laughs> in Shadowrun, as you take damage, your skills get worse and worse. So it incentivizes you to stay out of combat and also... In D&D, your, your health pool will just continue to go up and up. And uh, I'm actually not sure what the leveling system is like in Shadowrun. That is not included in the quick start rules. But it looks like you won't have, even towards the end of the game, that much, that large of a health pool. And damage can get fairly high. Like in the combat that I play with my friends, one player already took five damage. So he was already rolling one less dice and was about to start rolling two less dice every time he did anything. And I think part of this is because Shadowrun's a D6 system. Mm -hmm. I think with D6 systems, they just lend themselves to less of this sharp divide between combat and not combat. Because in a D20 system, when you've got your skill checks and everything that are happening outside of combat, uh, you've got your D20 in hand and you're rolling it and you roll that D20 again. And you roll the d20 again, and that's great. And then when combat starts, all of a sudden, well, oh, I got to check and make sure. I got to make my d4s, my d12s. I got to mm -hmm. have all this stuff. I got to have multiple of them. In a d6 system, it's it's all the same. Combat and skill checks are fundamentally more similar in a game like this since they just rely on the same sort of mechanic of rolling a bunch of d6s rather than whipping out a bunch of other shaped dice. Polyhedrals, if you will. All checks in D&D are the same. You roll a d20, you add your modifier, see if you beat the number. Damage is different but because you roll a dice. But I'd say that in Dungeons & Dragons, roll a d6 and add your strength modifier is simpler than in Shadowrun where it's roll your dice and then see how many hits you exceeded their roll. And then you add that to your damage value. But then the opponent needs to roll their body and then they subtract their scores, the successes from their body roll from the damage that they took. And that is one of the complaints I have about <laughs> the system is that there are a lot of numbers going back and forth and there are a lot of checks going back and forth and it's all based on D6s and you're like, well, what, what is that number? What is this number? Mm -hmm. And I got to say, as great as these beginner boxes are with the, the simplified rules and the kind of just walking you through it, they can be remarkably confusing <laughs> if you're kind of getting into it and trying to figure out what you're looking at. An, an example is there's a typo <laughs> in one of these files. For this character, it tells you to get the card called Description, which is a program. It's a card. It's a Description program, program yeah. Description program. Um, and so you said, give me so description said, program. Yeah, give me the description like, program. There's not one. Yeah, the problem is there's not a description program. It's called Decryption, and that's just a, that's just a mistake. Now, that's not terrible, you know, but if you're if this is the only literature you have for the game, that's going to cause some confusion. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a rule book, maybe you could open it up and say, is there even a program called description? No. Okay. Well, it's a typo. But here it's like, you're, it's like, are we missing a card? Like, is this real? But um, we figured that out pretty quick. So that wasn't too bad. But the ne next major problem is we found ourselves wanting more rules to explain to us <laughs> what numbers we were looking at well not wanting more rules wanting more explanation yeah yeah wanting more explanation like the rules are there we just don't know what they are right and i think uh, one thing that was really throwing me off is there's a, a the, when they use abbreviations and they don't explain what every abbreviation was there was dr and then reading through the rules there's defense rating and then there's also defense resistance damage resistance damage resistance, damage resistance. so when i see dr it's like 
is it the defense rating one or is it the damage resistance? And then you're flipping through to find, try to figure out which one it is. And that caused some confusion. And another thing that really causes confusion too is typically a lot when you play in role-playing games, you're going to be doing perception checks all over the place. Now I will say that each of these books, character books have a great, do a great job on the back of showing for that particular character skills that you might use. And all of them highlight perception. And it really specifically says, perception plus intuition is the number of dice that you roll. And if you looked on your character sheet, it would have a number called DP, which stands for dice pool, which we figured, which should, which we figured should be perception plus intuition. We presume DP means dice pool. That's never actually clarified anywhere. Yeah, we presume that. And now when you, when I turn to the back of the page here and I see that perception plus intuition, I have a parentheses that says, base dice pool colon five so i think and let me let me know if this is reasonable i think that five must be my perception plus my intuition i would assume yes okay so my intuition is one so therefore my perception must be four except there are two values for perception one is three one is four and four is dp so i assume dp okay that's dice pool and that's what i would add to my intuition in this character sheet that same formula does not spit out the same number. <laughs> if we go to the back, and I, I, this, this is a lot to follow, I know, but perception plus intuition, it says is eight. So then I scroll over to the table. Okay, eight. Well, my intuition is six. So therefore my perception must be two. Except neither of the numbers in the column are two. They're three and nine. Which in that case, six plus three equals nine. Exactly. But so on you the would think quick that, start guide, it so says you it's would eight. Think that DP is the total dice pool, which is the opposite of the conclusion you drew from the other character sheet. <laughs> and again, we could be totally missing something. We were flipping through the book trying to find it. And I think that was some of the frustration. It's like, it's supposed to be a quick start. Get in there and play. But we saw some discrepancies between some of the things. And then we thought, well, maybe they just added wrong because we saw the typo. Mm-hmm. So we just assume it's wrong. Uh, the, the reference in the back. So we'll just go by what we think is right, add those two numbers together, and that's what we're going to use. We got around it. It's no big deal. But I think the point was, if nobody's ever played this, it may throw you off. But there is an also an equal chance that we only notice this because we are seasoned RPG players. and we're, we're They used, are. I'm not. We're, we're, yeah, oh, you are. You're more than the average person anyway. Wow. And we're used to knowing the gritty details of the math and how that works out. But if you're a new player, odds are you're just going to open it to the back, see dice pool equals eight, and just take it from there. So they probably actually wouldn't go through this whole rigmarole of adding up the numbers and seeing what's what. We spent a lot of time on that, probably more so than what we had. But I think it was just point uh, some point of there was some confusion, and me coming in as a new player would be thrown off by that. So there are a couple things that we saw in the beginner box, a, a typo or something like that, which may be a quick stumbling block. And again, we just kind of rolled through it and said, this this is how we're going to play it. Now, Travis, let me ask you, you were the GM for both games, and the and the it comes with a guide for a GM and a one-shot scenario. As the GM, how is that coming out of a beginner box? When you get the uh, quick start box, it, it uh, on the cover says Shadowrun Battle Royale Adventure, which is what the, the adventure that they give you. And it gives a little introduction for what a game master does, how to prep for a game, and what to do. And I'm a big fan of this part. It's a lot longer than other um, introductories to how to be a game master. And I think it does a really good 
job of describing it. It talks about, you know, needing to find what your style as a GM is. It talks about using authority, but not abusing it. It talks about how when players do something you did not anticipate and how to maybe roll with it or get things back on track. But I have a, a couple of problems with the adventure itself. For one thing, it's a really open adventure, which I like for... It presents opportunities for whichever character you that you picked to um, to do something. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities for the Decker to hack into stuff. There's combat chances. There's times to talk your way out of situations. And it does a really good job of highlighting the things that you're able to do in the world of Shadowrun. But it being so open left a lot of l- loose ends, in my opinion, such as the part where you actually read out the introduction it leaves a few things out like the section says tell it to him straight so i just read that exactly and i skipped over a part that said scan this which kind of went over some details about where the players were and why they were there and i felt like if players didn't try to figure things out on their own like make a attempt to use their contacts to figure out what was going on, they would be lost, which is actually what happened with my first time a group that I did with my friends. One of them, actually two of them pretty much have only played Dungeons and Dragons, but another one he's familiar with other systems. He's played a lot of Delta Green and maybe they just didn't read their character sheets well enough, didn't know they had contacts to talk to, but they didn't really figure out why they were there or what they were supposed to do. And I just felt like there's... There's not enough direction. You think it should have been more on the rails? It it should be more on the rails. They should still present opportunities for you to like show off what your character can do, but there needed to be more uh, incentive to actually continue playing the adventure and to actually direct the players and what they're supposed to do. When it comes to a starter adventure, now as a whole, I've GM'd a lot of games. I love doing it. I think it's great. I love writing my own campaigns and stories. And I hate playing on rails, both as a GM and as a player. But when you have a starter scenario, that has to be on rails, I feel like, to a degree. And this scenario is just incredibly open. Like, you could do nothing. You could do everything. You could do the opposite of what they thought you were going to do. And there's no incentive to do any of it. So... On one hand, it kind of is a good way to introduce new role players to the idea of openness Mm -hmm. in a story or in a scenario, but it needs to guide them into it. It goes back to the openness. It was just too open for a new time GM to like understand what was happening. It wasn't a clear ABC. It was just a whole big open sandbox. And as a new GM, that can be daunting because players will do something that isn't noted in the book and you're just going to be confused and lost and you'll probably enjoy yourself, but it'll be slightly frustrating to someone who's like very new to being a game master. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic way to introduce new GMs to the inevitability of players doing not what you expect them to. <laughs> I will say that. Looking back, because you you mainly looked at the GM book and I mainly looked at the character book, I will give them, again, I really like the way they did the character book as far as talking about the characters and they give really good examples. Each of the character books, they say, you know, here's an example of how this character would do this. And what was nice about it, they actually give you examples of how you would roll and do the check and how successes are made. So I think that's really good for the players who are new to RPGs and who are uh, new to this system. So uh, again, this is... You know, typically it seems like when an RPG comes out, the beginner box comes after 
the core rule set comes. Unless I'm missing something, isn't that typically right? Typically, you see the beginner box come after the core rule books already come out, but this is coming out in June, and the core rule books coming out in August. Yeah, and I feel like the core rule book should be out with the beginner box because, in many ways, it's incomplete without it. It probably won't be for someone just picking it up for the first time because they're not going to ask the questions that maybe a shadow run veteran would be asking like, well, wait, what, what is the difference between this and that and that? And obviously there's minutiae that they're going to want to look up in a core rule book. Even beyond that, outside of using the pre-made characters in the pre-made adventure, there's nothing else in the rule book. There's no rules for leveling up. There's no rules for actually creating a character. There's no uh, blank template for a character sheet. Does the red box do that? It does. It does the, the, the D&D red box. Red box. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's just no rules for actually... Uh, continuing to play after you do the base adventure and use the base characters. So really, once you get the beginner box, you've played, then you're kind of waiting on the core rule book at that point. So here's the thing. I know it sounds like we we spent the past 15 minutes. Guys, you've been trashing the system and it's not like we're, we're trashing the system. We're just saying that if you've never played any RPGs, you're going to have a bit of a learning curve yeah. here. If you have played, there was still a little bit of a learning curve just because there's, there's a little bit of the confusion. Overall, I think it's a, I think it's a decent beginner box. I will say the, the criticisms we've been talking about are not criticisms of Shadowrun. No, correct. Yeah. Not at all. When we were talking about this, we're really only talking about the beginner box only. Like the system I, itself, I think is great. The system is streamlined way more than the fifth. Yes. The the fact that it's been streamlined over the, some of the issues I have with the fifth, I will play this anytime. I think the system, for what it seems so far, looks amazing. Way easier to get into than the fifth world. And I, I never played Shadowrun before because... One, I'm I'm not a big cyberpunk guy. I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty big like fantasy guy. Like that's that's all what I'm into. And also, it was intimidating, like numerically. It was it was a little too crunchy for me to feel like I could wade into easily. But after playing this, I would I would absolutely play this again. I would play a campaign at this for sure. And the corporate rulebook that they're going to be coming out with, their goal was to make sure that it was no more than 300 pages long. I believe this rulebook is. Would you? I actually had the fifth edition rulebook over here. Just compare for reference. Counting tables, 478 pages. Yeah, so what they're trying to do is reduce the size of the core rulebook, which is good. They're going to make sure to stick with D6 dice pools, which I love. For some reason, I feel like I have better luck mitigation with D6 dice pools than I do with D20. I don't know why, I just feel that. Less variance on the die. 14 less size than a D20, you're more likely to you know, see something that you want to see. For some reason, me adding another die as opposed to requesting a stat on an attribute to add to my D20 roll seems better mitigation, even though it's probably not. Well, adding one to a D20 roll is increasing your odds by 5%, but if you add a whole nother die, it's, what is it, 16% to get one. Well, it's so 33%. It's like, so it's like, thir- so it's 33%. So it tacks on a 33% chance to get another success. I prop some statisticians probably cringing at my math right now, <laughs> but that that's how I interpret it. I think adding one die to it is more of a boost than adding a one to a D20 roll. Regardless of the numerical values, it's it's psychological, right? You roll more die, die you feel more comfortable. And actually, in some of our dice pools, we were rolling like 14 die. There was handfuls of dice that of course, we were rolling. As we know from Warhammer, just because you're rolling 27 die doesn't mean it's all going to work out for you. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Everything regresses to the mean.
Yeah, that's absolutely true. So everybody, this is the Shadowrun Six World Beginner Box. This will be out in uh, June. If it's something that you're interested in uh, and have never played the Six World, you might want to check it out. Or you may decide, you know what, I'm going to wait for the core rule book that comes out in August, I believe at Gen Con. Get that. And then probably that in conjunction with the beginner box is really all that you'll, you'll need at that point. I know for me, I'm getting the core rule book. I loved this world in in the fifth, and I want to see how well the sixth is. And you know what's exciting too? Cyberpunk's going to be big all of a sudden. What is the next big game coming out? Is it CD Projekt Red? Yep. What what is it? Is it Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? Mario Party. Wait, what? <laughs> Mario Party. Yeah, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. And coming off the coattails of Blade Runner two years ago, was the one show on Netflix came out recently. Oh yeah, it's uh, called Carbon Fiber. Edge of Carbon. No, it was carbon like love, edge. love, Death, Robots. Oh, yes, the it? animated thing. Yeah. Altered Carbon, that is Cyberpunk. Yeah, that is. So, I mean, the that video game, Cyberpunk 2077, will be probably huge because anything that company puts out is big. So, all of a sudden, if like, hey, I really like this video game, now you're going to have an RPG to play along with it. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Your experience meant a lot. And in fact... You guys also have a lot of experience in video games, and the next game that we're going to play mimics a video fighting game, so would you guys hang around for another segment? I'd stay tuned. I think I will. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We were excited to get to try out Super Punch Fighter from Z-Man Games, a game from Robert Klontz. And what I was excited to try about this game was that it's supposed to mimic a video game, which is why I held over Travis and Adam from the previous segment, because those guys are really into fighting video games. So let me give a quick overview of the game. You take control of a character, and the goal is to go up and to punch somebody else in the face. And as you deal damage to other people, you're going to earn points. The first person to nine points wins. And on your turn, you can have one up to three actions. You can move up to four spaces. You can draw two cards. You can draw button cards or fighter cards, which we'll dig into in a second, which are very important. Launch a combo, which we'll talk about in a second. And then as many free actions as you want. Push a button. And this is one of the cool things. At the beginning of the game, everybody has button cards, A, B, C, and D. And that's what you're going to use to activate combos and do other actions with those buttons. You can chain a combo that you started with your main action. Uh, You can just discard a button if you need to. And then reset, and that's an important part of the game that we'll talk about in a second. So guys, this game is about getting in position and moving and building up a lot of buttons in front of you over the course of the game and activating those buttons to do combos that each of these characters have, and each of them are very unique and have unique cards that you can use to attack other players. So I think it does a really good job of emulating a video game because of the button presses. Now, it's obviously not going to have, like, in a video game, the split-second decisions. You have, as long as everyone at the table is okay with it, all the time you need to take your time on your turn. But managing the buttons that you're able to press and where you are on the board and just the general feel, because fighting games have a pretty inherent goofiness to them, and this kind of really takes that goofiness to the extreme. The whole flavor, the buttons, everything about it, feels very fighting game to me. And I think we just need to say real quick, uh, for the buttons, when you use a button, it's actually exhausted for that turn. You take a thumb token and put it on the button to show that it's been used, so you can no longer use that for the rest of that round. And that is kind of a clever way of emulating the speed of a fighting game, right? Because in the decision of, I'm going to 
do a grab right now or a punch right now. You've exhausted a button, basically a resource for the next however many seconds or however much time you have that button depressed. So it kind of slows that action down of saying, all right, you've committed to pressing that button and doing this action. Now you're kind of stuck with that and you've got to deal with whatever else you have left in order to complete your turn. Now the combos is a really cool thing. In typical video game, fighting game fashion, you have these combos like with Street Fighter. It's like rotate three quarters, press these two buttons, etc. And they have the same sort of thing here. Each character card or fighter card has a list of buttons that to activate that card maybe it's a a b c and you put thumb tokens on each of those and you activate whatever attack that is but when you get to chain a combo that's where the card you activate in one order makes a difference because if the last button of a combo matches the first button of a combo you're getting ready to activate you only have to press that button once. So you could chain multiple tacks together and try to conserve your resources as best as possible. And that's a really good system too, because it adds an extra wrinkle. Because when you're drawing cards, you might be thinking, oh man, like I, I don't know how I'm going to get enough buttons to execute some of these. But by abusing that, not abusing, but making use of that rule, uh, you can really do a lot more than you would think you could at first. I also feel it's worth mentioning that to win the game, you need to get nine victory points. And at the beginning of the game, four achievements will be laid out. And the achievements do various things such as it could be have a combo of four different moves or drop somebody eight points of health or something along those lines. And they'll give you a certain amount of victory points of which you need nine to win the game. The game lends itself to be pretty explodey. Like a lot of the times you're not going to get one victory point a turn, two victory points a turn. It'll be nothing for a turn. And the next turn you could get four or five right then and there because you finished every achievement, which can only... Um, a complete one achievement once a game. So it's just worth noting that the game could end very quickly because somebody just gets a spectacular turn where they completely reduce everybody to zero health, which should give you four victory points and then complete all achievements, which would give uh, potentially the other five to win you the game. It is swingy, but I think it's interesting too, where somebody can have a really big move and do a lot of combos. What they've done is they've expended a lot of cards. They've pressed a lot of buttons. And at the end of your turn, you can only remove four thumb tokens from four different buttons. So if you've pressed a lot of buttons, all those other buttons that still have thumb tokens on them are discarded. So then you have to spend time drawing more buttons, drawing more fighter cards. So yes, one big combo, but then you're done for a couple rounds. It is very high risk, high reward in that respect. And then basically you're basically running around at that point, trying not to get punched as you build up resources again, more buttons to be able to do more combos. So to me, when it, I think it's hard to mimic a video game and a board game, but I thought they did a pretty good job with this, with the whole button pressing mechanic. I think that's the ticket here. It does a great job of mimicking that field just on a slower pace. And I think the, the character designs and aesthetics are right there on point. Uh, the game does have a few balance issues. Um, the move Queasy Cheesy needs a pretty big nerf. So <laughs> hopefully the next patch, they'll kind of work on that, adjust it accordingly. Hope Business Lizard could use a pretty good buff, <laughs> I think. That is Super Punch Fighter from Plaid Hat Games. will be in retail stores June 6th. Five-minute initiative is complete. like to thank everyone who has gone out and sponsored rolling dice and taking names over at our podge pledge site we really do appreciate your support means a lot means the servers can eat means that they'll get their power 
Yeah, I'd hate for them to lose power, Marty, and they can't get to all this good content. I appreciate everything that people have done for us. Yes, it means so much. We've actually almost at 50% of our goal within the first month. So that's amazing. We love to make our goal this year. We've actually never made our goal. Well, maybe we should lower our goal. <laughs> we should back it down to what it is right now or go, and we go, ching, we did it. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go. But there's more reason to go over to Pod Pledge. Dot com mm-hmm. to our site. Oh, yeah. Marty has set up a little special contest for those of you who might be interested in getting a free game. Marty, tell the people what it may be. AEG sent us what is called the Smash Up Collector's Box. This is a huge box that holds every Smash Up card ever made. They've all been individually sleeved. They've sent Every expansion box, they've sent all the rules for all those expansions in this one huge box. And they said, hey, if you guys want to give that away in a contest, feel free to do so. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to give this humongous prize to one of our listeners. Now, unfortunately, because this box is so big and so heavy that we're only going to be able to ship to the continental United States. Now, if we had hit our goal of 5000 on Pod Pledge, we might have been able to afford that shipping over the seas, but with this box. I'm kidding, people. Kidding. No, he's not. <laughs> actually, I actually just want a side note here. We've had to do this a couple times where we've had things that we want to ship and we can only ship to the U.S. And people who are outside the U.S. say, man, that stinks. I can't participate. So maybe sometime, Tony, we can come up with something that's for people only outside of the U.S., and maybe it's you know it's a gift certificate, a gift card, or, or working with another publisher that they can ship the game for us. So hopefully we can do something for our international audience. But unfortunately, this is only for the U.S. audience. Again, this is every Smash Up expansion and base game ever made in this humongous box, this heavy duty box. If you have the Thunder Quest uh, latest uh, uh, adventures box, it's that size box with the nice trays in it. And again, somebody has individually sleeved. Every single one of these cards. That's that's insane. Hundreds and hundreds of cards already sleeved. And to enter, it's a piece of cake. All you need to do is go to our podpledge.com page. And in the merchandise section, you're going to be able to purchase an entry to the contest. Here's the thing is, though. This is a, it's free. When you go to checkout, it's free. There's no cost to you. All we want you to do is go there and just purchase a free ticket and you'll be entered into the contest. If you've already backed us on Pod Pledge with any money, you're automatically entered, so you don't need to do this. And if you've backed us, you do not get additional entries into the contest, okay? So it's not like you can get additional entries by giving us any money. That's not why we're doing this. But if you're over there and you want to drop a dollar in the tip chart, please go ahead and do that, but it's not necessary. The The entry is free to do so. This just makes it an easy way for us to track it. And then on June 18th, we're going to close that contest. We're going to randomly pick a winner and ship out this humongous box, and you are going to be blown away. There's going to be a picture of it also on uh, the Pod Pledge page. I'll take out all the boxes and put them on my table and show you exactly what this sucker looks like, and it's just absolutely amazing, Tony. 
Are you going to do all that neatness? You going to take it apart and put it back together? You going to open up their prize? I've already opened the box and just see what's in it. But I set out all the empty expansion boxes just to show oh. how many expansions it is. Then show a picture of the inside of the box and show you how they're all organized. Each of them are organized by expansion. They have these nice little dividers between the cards to show you which cards go with what expansion. They have gone all out with this thing. This is an epic, epic prize. I mean, it's nothing for us to play a game and then give it away. Well, we hadn't even played this game, people. This is brand new. This has never been played. I basically was just opened it up. I want to see what it was. And it's going, it's going back in the box and we'll ship out to one of you. Be sure to go over to our pop page page. There'll be a link in the notes. I'll make sure that happens. Um, or better yet, you can just type in that magical Google line if you want or wherever browser you're in. And I'm sure it can find rolling dice and taking name, especially put pod pledge at the end of it. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is not free. This is our annual rolling dice and taking names strike tournament. We don't want it can be a meetup, whatever you want to call, but this is at the Old Spaghetti Warehouse. Tickets are going to go on sale very, 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 very soon. Like the day this is released. Like the day this is released, they're going on sale. <laughs> Which is? Is it June fourth? It's June fourth. Because you know, on June fourth, I'm going to go see Godzilla. Okay, that's great. But also, if people want to go out and buy tickets for the Strike event at Gen Con, they can do that too. Now, these are going to be limited to only 75 people. So the first 75, it, we might can squeeze in more, but that's what we're saying right now because we ran into issues last year. Tickets sold out within one day. Now, the prices for the tickets this year are $20. So that's $20 per person. If you backed us on Pod Pledge for the $96 level, and that's the award you selected, or you did the all-in, which is the $120 level, you're going. You're in, baby. So you ain't got to worry about it. Uh-huh. You can't get out. You're done. Yeah, well, you, you have you to don't have, You don't have to show up. You have up. to go. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who want to go, again, it's $20 a ticket. Last year, we did sell it on the first day. So if you're thinking about going, you want to go sign up as soon as possible. This is going to be a, a major event. If you went last year, you know exactly what it is. For two hours, we get to eat amazing food at the old spaghetti factory. Every table will have a copy of Strike. Where no, no, playing. no, no. Warehouse. Spaghetti Warehouse. I thought it was Old Spaghetti Factory. Oh, good gosh. Now you've confused me. Old Spaghetti. It's, it's Old Spaghetti f Restaurant. I think, oh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's OSF. <sighs> but it's on the page regardless. We know where we're going to be. <laughs> it's, what, it's where it was last year. Thursday night at 7 o'clock. So we're starting after the call closes, which is great. Because last year, people were rushing over. They wanted to stay in the hall, but they wanted to get to our event. So we're going to have it at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. Uh, come and hang out with us. We're going to have a lot of uh, people there. I know Rodney Smith has said he's coming. Chaz Marlow said he's coming. Jimmy Keggy from The Secret Ball Cabal is going to be there. Ignacy and, from, and Mary from Portal Games are going to be there. Hopefully some others will be there. Uh, I believe Rob Rouse from Blue Peg Pink Peg said he was going to be able to make it. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of people just to hang out, come shake hands, play strike with, with the goal of, once again, what will it be? Will it be Gladiators in Arena or Dice in a Bowl for two years? It's been Gladiators in Arena. I need people to pick up on my team to choose my side, dice in the bowl so we can finally win this thing. So if whoever goes, we're going to be split up into two groups, gladiators and arena, dice in the bowl. You pick which side you want to be on and you're going to fight for that side. Now we will even out the sides because if 75 people are going to pick dice in the bowl, that's not fair. So I'm going to force people oh, to I think go. it's fair. The people have spoken. People have spoken, but they haven't won yet. Okay, that's fair. OSF, you are absolutely right. I was wrong. Imagine that. But there will be there is a set menu. 
keep in mind that. So um, be sure. But if you do have food allergies, things like that, we went through this last year. You'll get more information later um, once you buy your ticket. I'll send out uh, notifications and things like that. Biggest reason that we want to get your attention on this right now is the fact that we know you are already selecting events for Gen Con, and we are Thursday night at 7 o'clock. That's Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Even I have have it written in my calendar to make sure I am there. August 1st. Again, this is only like one block, a block and a half or so from the convention center. Easy to get to. 7 o'clock. Come hungry. You'll leave full. Uh, once again, Miniature Market is going to be giving out some swag. We don't know what yet. We're working with the marketing department. Last year was that sweet, sweet canvas bag. And they're going to do something special again this year. They've already said so. And as always, we'll have some publishers that we're going to be able to get some games out that we can give away as prizes. Broken Token on it will give us some inserts to give away and everything. So we're going to have some good price support there. But we just want you to come out, hang out. We want to hang out with you play some strike and just have a good time. Yeah. And maybe if you, if you have an acorn and you've gotten your acorn by then, one of the things we can do is you put your name on it and we can all have the ping Chaz Marler during dinner event too. Yes. Somebody had posted about wanting to hit Chaz Marler of paradise paradise with these acorn stress balls. We, we highly recommend it. This is one of the things I highly recommend. And if you can get a picture of it, that's even better. Yes, that would be a fun, fun time for you and everybody around. However, you might get some sauce on it. So anyway, that is happening at Gen Con. Now, Marty, I must say, I'm under pressure here. I heard the oven timer go off. Is there anything else we need to cover? Yes, there is, because... Man, you're killing me. What? I got strawberry shortcake. I understand you got strawberry shortcake, but we got something very important to talk about because this particular episode is being brought to you by our friends over at Game Toppers. And if you have never seen Game Toppers, it is this gorgeous piece of, I'm going to call it furniture, Tony. It's furniture. Okay. Nice high-end furniture that sits on top of a table and provides you a nice gaming space. It has an inset playing area. It's modularized where you can put two parts together. You can have cup holders and everything. Uh, we'll have a link to in our show notes on so you can go check some of these out. He's getting ready to start another Kickstarter. He is being Kevin. They're getting ready to start another Kickstarter soon. And what they're doing right now is in, in getting ready for that Kickstarter, they're running a contest. And in this contest, there are these videos that provide clues that you need to solve. It's a Sherlock Holmes mystery. It's like watching detective or playing detective. It is. And if you can solve this, then you're entered in for a chance to win a complete game toppers system. And from what I understand, it's like over a thousand dollars. Well, so I know I want to enter, but we can't because Tony, you and I are part of this video series where Kevin contacted us and said, Hey, would you guys play some old English ruffins? And we said, no, we'll play Southern Ruffians. (laughs) So he gave us this script. This video should be out by now, by the way. If you go and watch this video and there's these two old Ruffins that Sherlock Holmes is talking to, it's not going to be hard to tell that it's Tony and I. I'm, I'm the one that's trying to do an English accent. And Tony ends up sounding like a Southern cowboy with a little bit of a Southern gentleman inside of it. Yeah, it's ugly. It's just <laughs> ugly. I'm so, that's a good thing. Oh, man. No. Oh. It was so funny recording that. We recorded that like five times. And we kept going, dude, you, you just start sounding like a Southern person. And I've said this before. Remember, ling, uh, linguistics was that 
English accents and Southern accents are related to each other. And so that I would kept falling back into a regular accent. So it was, it was funny trying to get through that, man. But it was so funny listening to you, Tony. You would start in like mid-sentence. You'd start switching over. <laughs> Is that a shilling? Governor? Oh, oh, so bad. So bad. Oh, but anyway, so that's the contest that's going on right now. Big thanks to uh, Kevin for including us in this. And a big thanks uh, to him for, for sponsoring this particular episode. Yes, and he's probably sorry he included us in this, but that's all He right. is now. Yeah, yeah it's like, crap, oh, what have I man, done? I, I should have not bad. brought anybody this particular episode of RDTN. So keep rolling dice. <laughs> They're shortcake. I know. But don't you want to talk some more? No, I want to go eat shortcake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And taking names. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, like our Facebook page, and join our BGG Guild 1589. Takes out of the oven. If you don't come get it, Rebecca and I are going to eat it all. That's it, Marty. I'm gone. See you later, man. For the first time ever, Tony, I took advantage of placing an order at Miniature Market and putting it on hold until I got enough to get free shipping. Okay, that system is pretty cool, Tony. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you. Because after you place an order, you say, when you go to shipping, you just say, what do you want to do with it? Oh, just put it on hold and they hold it for you until you get up to like the $100 mark or whatever it is to get the free shipping. Well, it just so happened over Memorial Day weekend, they send out an email and go, guess what? You've got something on hold. If you go ahead and get order something else and get it up to 50 bucks, we'll ship it to you for free. So Tony, I got in touch with you. I put another item on there. We're over 50 bucks. We got free shipping. Yes, I tell you, that is a, such a cool feature. It's over at miniaturemarket.com where you can place an order, put it on hold, and just leave it there till you're ready to, to have it shipped to you when you get the free shipping criteria met. That's over at miniaturemarket.com. You are such an enabler. It, it costs me $28, but you got free shipping. Thank you. Thank you.